If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to ask a question. Have any of you ever been to an all-inclusive resort or some type of cruise? Anybody ever been to one of those where it's, it's you pay for it up front and when you get there, you get to enjoy whatever's there? So a few years ago, my wife and I, we went on a cruise, I think, to the Bahamas. It was for our anniversary. We were there for a few days. And I remember getting on that boat and pretty much they said, I'm always calculating to make sure because I got, I got seven people to take care of. Uh, so you're always adding up and figuring up how much is that going to cost? How much is that going to cost? And when I got on this ship, I realized that I've already paid for it all. So I'm going to enjoy it. Everything, it's all expenses. It's all covered. And so there were buffets and there were dinners at night and, and you could order one entree. And sometimes the, the waiter said, if you want to try different, something else, you can order two entrees. And so I just let it come. Just keep it coming. And so, uh, because it's already taken care of. And so what a blessing that was. As we look at the scriptures tonight, I want you to know that salvation is free. Salvation is free to you. The prophet Isaiah declared this in Isaiah 55. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. The Lord said, I've got a table for you to be able to enjoy and delight yourself in fatness, to just absorb it in and soak it in and enjoy what I have to offer you. And so we know that salvation is free. We also know that salvation is of the Lord. Uh, Jonah got in predicament down in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of the great fish, and he declared salvation is of the Lord. We know that only God can save. And over the last week, we've talked about uh, all kinds of things, about how that you need to be found. Uh, the, the sheep was found. The coin was found. The lost son was found. We're talking about having the right garments, uh, the, the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. We reminded you, as Brother Brad preached about, that Jesus is more than he appears to be. And we've seen his glory both there in the transfiguration and last night we discussed how that the heart of Jesus was on full display at the cross, offering forgiveness. Even at the end of his earthly ministry, he is still extending grace and mercy to save sinners. And so tonight as we look in the Hebrew letter... Last night I told you that Jesus is great. He's great. And I want to I look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And then I want to tell you a few more reasons of why Jesus is great. And then I want to speak about this great salvation that God has provided for humanity. Let us begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. 
I know this week you have heard the glorious gospel of God Almighty. And I encourage you to give the more earnest heed to those things. He says, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward... That means that the law that was handed down by the, by the angels, uh, in a sense, uh, the Galatians, I believe, said it, that it was handed down by the angels. And it, it, another chapter says handed down to Moses. Regardless, the law was a very stiff demonstration of the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the justice of God. And what the Hebrew writer is saying right here, that if, if everything that we've done received a just retribution then we're all in trouble, right? And so he rolls this into the third verse. And it's a beautiful verse. He says, how shall we escape? How shall we find a way out of the trouble we're in if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So this is a message of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. It's been passed down throughout church history. He says, God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles, the gift of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. And so my thought tonight is going to be on this subject of a great salvation, a great salvation, this great salvation comes from the one who is great. In the first chapter, he tells us these verses. And I wish I had a lot of time to unravel them for us. But he says this, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. What he's saying is God has spoken at many different times of history and many different ways through the prophets, to the fathers, to the forefathers. But he says here, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. These verses tell us already that we're living in the last days. And that was written 2,000 years ago. And it says here that uh, God has spoken to us directly through his son, uh, the greater mediator than Moses. The greater one that is, he, Jesus is not just a servant in the house. He is the son in the house. And God has spoken unto us by his son. And this son is awesome. He is great. And I want to give you a, a few things because I want you to know the one who's able to give you this great salvation. Here's just a few things that it says about him in these verses. It says, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Do you know that the father, because of the son and who he is, the father is going to hand over everything unto the son one of these days, and he's going to give him these things as a reward of his sufferings on the cross. Much like we heard the other night uh, about Abraham, and, and it says over in chapter 25 of Genesis, I believe, that when Abraham died, he gave everything that he had to the son of promise. I'm telling you, one of these days, God the Father is going to hand it all over to his son. He already has all authority in heaven and in earth right now. He's great. Jesus is great. What else does he tell us about this, this son? He says, by whom also he made the worlds. 
There wasn't anything made that was made without the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator. And the Hebrew writer is telling us that, that he was there in the very beginning. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He made you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He knew all about you before you were even born. He knew those things, uh, every bit of it from start to finish of your life all the way down to this point of time. He is great. He goes on to tell us here that who being the brightness of his glory, Jesus is the radiance of God the Father. It says in the scriptures that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it went on to say that we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus exuded the glory and the brightness and the radiance of his Father everywhere he went. He's great. What else does it tell us? He just, he just can't get enough of it. He just keeps on rolling it out. He says he's the express image of his person. The word image there is the word character. And it, it means a stamp or something that is engraved. And it says here that in this verse, that similar to what I believe Philip said when they were talking about, uh, Jesus said, I'm going. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And Jesus began to talk about going away. And he told his disciples, you know where I'm going. They said, I don't know about that. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father except through me. And Philip had the bright idea of saying, show us the father. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Look how close of a relationship that they had. And if that wasn't enough, he said he upholds all things by the word of his power. This very moment in time, the Lord Jesus Christ, everything consists and are holding together through his power. Our very life, our very heartbeat, everything about us, everything about the universe, it's all being sustained by the glory of his power. Very simply, too. It doesn't take much for him to sustain all these things. And then notice what he says. For those, perhaps, that are trying to work out their salvation, he said, when he had by himself, did you hear that? When he had by himself purged our sins. What he did on the cross was powerful enough And he didn't need my help. He didn't need your help. He did it all. He paid that price. This is why salvation is free tonight. This is why salvation is of the Lord. He purged our sin by himself. What a strong savior he is. I remember Samson one day picking up the gates of one of those cities and he carried them on his back. I'll tell you, Jesus picked up our sins and he carried them on his back and he nailed them to the cross all by himself. And then what did he do? He did what no other high priest could ever do. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And you know what he did? He did what no other high priest could ever do. He took a seat. 
And he's in session right now at this very moment. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't ended his ministry in this world today. He's still operating through the church. And part of what he's doing, he's declaring through the church to the world, to you tonight, that there is a great salvation for you to enjoy if you'll come. Now, tonight I want to I do something maybe a little different. I want you to understand salvation. And I want you to understand the package of salvation. And I ask that you pray for me that I can, I can lay this out before you tonight because I want you to see that the older I've gotten, I've seen that this gift that God gave to me about 20 years ago, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of gifts you get on Christmas and they end up in some closet uh, somewhere and they just get smaller and smaller and smaller and the glory of it just diminishes and you don't even really, you don't even care anything about it anymore. But I'll tell you that this gift, this great salvation that the Hebrew writer is telling us, he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There is a way out. There is an escape from the law of God because the law of God will condemn But here's what Christ does in salvation. First of all, he's able to justify us. Secondly, I want us to consider how that not only does he justify us, but he sanctifies the believer. And then finally, I want to conclude tonight with the fact that he glorifies us. This is a package deal, so much so that as Paul was describing it in the book of Romans... He made a statement there, just a phrase. He said, for those that he justified, he also glorified. And so tonight, if you've been justified, he is going to glorify you. Those are in past tense. He already sees it as done. Even though we get to experience it, it unravels throughout the remainder of our lives. And so let's consider this for a moment. To be justified, turn over with me to Luke's gospel chapter 18. I want to share with you a man that, uh, an unlikely candidate of a man that got justified, but you know the story, but I'll just share it with you just to illustrate this point. Luke 18 verse 9, it said, He spake this parable in a certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. So this man, honestly, we see here, he is trying to self-justify himself based on his goodness, his own works. He thinks he's good in the eyes of the Lord, but he actually, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags because there's only one that's great enough to purge our sins by himself on the cross. We can't add any to that. We just got to come to the table and say, Lord, I need the gift. I need the gift. I need the gift. I'm begging you for the gift. And he's given it to so many people throughout time, throughout history. That's how the church just keeps on growing and growing and growing because people are born again of his spirit and God gives people that gift. So this one man was trusting in himself that he was righteous And he came full of himself, but he left empty. 
The other man, though, this publican, uh, unlikely candidate, a man that was looked down on the community, came to the Lord in the right manner, and he said a very simple prayer. And Jesus didn't illustrate that this was the 50th time that he came to the temple. This perhaps was the first time he came to the temple. But in this condition, he came to him, and he said these simple words, God... Well, actually, I'm looking up into the sky. He didn't even look up in the sky because his heart was broken over his sin. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was how simple it was. And it says this. Jesus made this statement. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. And so what, is, what does it mean to be justified? It's, it's an instantaneous legal act of God whereby he declares you righteous in his eyes. Who has he done that to in the Bible? Brother Brad preached the other night about Abraham. He said, Abraham believed God and he counted it unto him as righteousness. Abraham was declared righteous. It says a similar thing. Old David had an episode here where he found himself in trouble. And Romans chapter 4 quotes this, but he's quoting Psalm 32. And he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Both Abraham and David expressed the fact that God is willing to justify the ungodly, to declare them righteous. And you might say, that doesn't even sound fair. How can God declare someone that has been sinful righteous? It takes us back to that last statement I made about Jesus being great. He by himself purged our sin. He attained for us a perfect standard of righteousness throughout his life so that whoever believes on him and calls upon his name, God is able to be just and uphold the law and also able to justify sinners like you and me. And so the results of justification are this. It means you have a right standing with God. That's a joy tonight, to have a right standing with God. Secondly, it means that you're reconciled to God. Righteousness and peace have kissed one another. And because of that, Paul said this in Romans 5 and 1. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've said these things all week long, but we we need the Holy Spirit to make this real to you. Uh, We we pray that God will uh, allow you to take the more earnest heed to the gospel. Because God can justify you. As he said, it's an instantaneous act. Many of the things that God uses to describe salvation... It's an instantaneous act. To be born again means that, man, when you're born, you're born. They, they put a time stamp on your birth certificate that you're born at that hour. There's a time when that happens. God does that work in you. But that's not all that he does. He also sanctifies us. What does it mean to sanctify the sinner, to sanctify the one that has put their trust and faith in Christ? If justification means that the power of sin is broken, 
Sanctification means that the power of or if if justification means the penalty of sin is paid, then sanctification means that the power of sin is broken. It's a glorious thing that God does. The things that I used to love to do, I don't want to do anymore. How in the world can that be right without a work of grace in the heart of man? And there's a few illustrations of that. As Paul writes about the Corinthian church, he writes to them and they were not the nicest of people. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he said this. We would all look at those categories and say, man, that's a rotten bunch of people. They were out there ungodly, sinful. And then he says this, and such were some of you. What happened? Paul went on to say it. He says, you are washed and you are sanctified and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. He combines sanctification and justification in the same sense. He said, you're washed. Your sins have been washed away. You've been cleansed. And then he says, you've been sanctified. And what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. And there's, I want us to look at this just a little bit deeper, just for a moment, because I want you to understand this package deal that God has provided for us. The first part of sanctification Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a very, uh, a phrase that he used often that he really loved. And it was, it, it was this, in Christ, in Christ. And tonight, this is how simple salvation is. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's that word, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. So this old lifestyle of the Corinthians, it passed away. They used to be drunkards and revilers and all kinds of wickedness. But it's, it's passed away. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. So Paul would say that sanctification is the point in which God, uh, he sets you apart. He saves you and he sets you apart and he puts you in Christ. What a beautiful thought that is. And so tonight, you are either in Christ and a new creation, or you're still outside of Christ. And the Lord who sustains the universe by the word of His power, the one that created the world and the expanse of it, and knows the world of your heart, is big enough to let you know that if you are in Christ... Or are you outside of Christ? That might be a really good prayer to pray. Lord, am I in Christ or am I outside of Christ? Because if I'm in Christ, there's one part of this equation that I I am as holy as I will ever be. I want you to hear me on that. 
If you've been saved by God's grace, God sets you apart unto himself once and for all. The apostle Paul was so excited about this idea of positional sanctification that this is my position in Christ that he made this statement. Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, the Apostle Paul, kind of like the Hebrew writer talking about Jesus being great. He's just rolling out all these things about who Jesus is and how great he is. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul begins to write about what it looks like for us to be in Christ. And verse one, verse 3 through verse 14 is one sentence in the original language. And the Apostle Paul just rolls it out and he rolls it out and he rolls it out and he rolls it out. And here's what he said, much like a gift that just needs to keep being unpacked. Here's what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What does that mean to us tonight? That means that God has bestowed upon us a a whole lot of spiritual blessings. And what are some of those? Now, as you think about this, Paul knew the kind of people these, these were prior to this. They used to be outside of Christ. And chapter two tells us that when they were outside of Christ, they were dead in trespasses and sins. Not only were they dead, but he said, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. They were defiant. They lived in opposition to God and his ways. And instead they followed the course and the ways of the world's system. They were devilish because they followed after the prince and the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. They were obstinate against the Lord and his ways and dysfunctional. And it says there in the scriptures that they were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. They were in a lot of trouble outside of Christ. But Paul preached the gospel to them. And people in the city of Ephesus, a place that was loaded down with idolatry, that was loaded down with sexual perversion, that was loaded down with people that didn't care about God or anything, they heard the message of the gospel and they were gripped. They were gripped and they were captivated. And they were saved. Many of them were saved while Paul ministered there in Ephesus for about three years. And Paul says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You have become the object of God's grace, His bestowed favor on you. And he goes on to say just a few things to sum them up. He, I don't want to read it all, but he says that He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. He has selected and called out people unto himself. I can't even fathom or wrap my head around that, but to know that God would call me out and and I would know that I've been chosen out of this world for many are called and few are chosen. And he didn't end there. He continued on and he says this, that you have not only been blessed and chosen, but you've also been adopted What does it mean to be adopted? 
It means that you have been granted all the privileges and rights of a son or daughter in a family based on a legal transaction. And for the Christian, it means that you have been brought into a permanent intimacy with a father. You receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be set apart unto himself. This is our new position. This is our new identity. And it's from this new identity that all of our behaviors and desires need to flow Godwards. It's from that that it flows that we realize this is who I am today. I'm no longer uh, that man that was out there living in sin. Jesus looks at me in a different way and I've got a new standing with him. And so I live in a different way. I'm adopted. I'm chosen. And he goes on to say I'm accepted in the beloved. For many of the years of my life, I struggled with trying to perform to be able to adhere to somebody's level of approval. And it seemed like every time I tried to find approval with man, it seemed like the standard just kept moving and kept moving and kept moving and kept moving. And it seemed like you get to a point where you just can't satisfy anybody. And I was wondering, how can I ever, how can I ever get this right? Right here, he says that because of what Christ did, Instead of relying on my performance to get things right with God, I am now able to cast all my faith on Christ's performance, on what He did, and because of what He did on the cross, I now have rest in my soul because what He did was enough to gain for me acceptance before God. This is my new identity. This is my standing in Christ. And he just keeps on rolling them off. He says, I'm redeemed. And I'm forgiven. And I'm an heir. And I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. How do you know if you're a child of God? The scripture says this. The the Holy Spirit authenticates those that are His. It says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What a blessing it is to be in Christ Jesus. Why would God lavish such a gift on people like you and me? Some people say and make this question, they say, I don't know why God would save me. I don't know why God would save me. You ever heard anybody say that? I don't know why God would save me, somebody like me. I can tell you why, based on the authority of Scripture, why He looked down through the halls of eternity, through the halls of time, and He sent a gospel preacher to you, and He captivated you by the message, and He raised you up in a moment and saved you. I can tell you why tonight He did it. Because Paul, as he's unraveling all of these blessings that we have in Christ, he says in verse 6 and verse 12 and verse 14, he says he saved us to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That's why you're saved. You are saved 
to live a wholehearted, devoted, committed life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would bestow upon you such a great gift. He has blessed us with the unsearchable riches of Christ. And yet this is the great salvation that God has given to us. But many times we live like spiritual paupers as if God hasn't done hardly anything for us. But Paul, one of these new believers at Ephesus, know if you've been saved, you're in Christ, and this is your brand new position. You've been chosen, adopted, forgiven, accepted, sealed by the Holy Spirit. God has authenticated His work in you, and that's not all there is to it. Because Paul knew this about himself. And so there's a part of sanctification that if you're in Christ, you are as holy as you will ever be because you are in Christ. And Christ's righteousness has been imputed unto you. But then there's also something called progressive sanctification. And in easier terms, it means... What Paul said to the Philippians, he said, he who began a good work in you, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. And what he's saying is that if you have been justified and you have been set apart and put in Christ, it means that God is going to be working on you for the rest of your days to make you more like Jesus. He says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. This is why you might not be satisfied with where you're at because we're still a work in progress. He tells us this though. He said, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God, when he saves us, he gives us this great salvation. It's something for us to work out. It's something for us to endeavor to be more like Christ. So much so, that Paul said this in chapter 1, verse 21. Thank you for praying because I enjoy having the liberty of the Lord just to proclaim His glorious truth. The apostle Paul said this, for to me to live is Christ. Is Christ. When did he say that? He said that about 25 years or 30 years after he got saved. He said this later in the next uh, uh, couple chapters over. He said that I still want to know him. I know him, but I want to know more about him. There was a burning desire, even through all the suffering and the pain and the persecution that Paul faced. He knew that he was, he knew he had been justified in the eyes of God. He was once an evil man, but there on that road to Damascus, God did a work of grace in his heart. And his life changed. There was something different. And maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I haven't had that kind of experience where I I really went from this direction to that direction. And especially if you're a child in here, you may be saying, well, I I haven't uh, really got out there in the world. But I'll tell you, there, there may not be as drastic of a change and there may not be as drastic of visible results as we see in the Apostle Paul. But I'll tell you, there will be a change 
in you. It'll be a noticeable change. It may take a little bit of time, but it's going to show up. Because when God does that kind of work, it's going to do something to you. And so Paul, throughout throughout the rest of his days, was seeking to draw and be more like Jesus. Every day. This is what I pray for you as a church. That you'll know who you are in Christ. But then from here on out until the Lord calls you home. I hear sometimes when I go and visit with the elderly, they'll say things like this. I just don't know why God still has me here. And I can tell you why. If he was done with you, if he had sanctified you to the point that he was ready to pick you from this earth and to carry you home, he would have already done it. Do you not realize he's sustaining the entire universe by the word of his power. He counts all the number of stars and he calls them all by their names. And I'll tell you, he knows your name. And when that roll is time, it's time for him to call that roll call for your name. He's going to take you home until then. He's got you here and Perhaps if you're here and you're elderly and you're at home a lot of time, I'll tell you, some of the most beautiful saints that I've seen are those that are in their homes. They're shut in and they are a praying people. I tell you, they're the, they're the hinder parts that you don't see in the church. But I tell you, those people out there that are praying and interceding on behalf of others, the Lord looks at it differently than we look at it. He sees that's a, that right there. They need that person right there because they're sustaining and praying for so many people in the church. They're praying for power in the pulpit. They're praying for the convicting power of the gospel and they're doing that from their homes and they may not even be able to stand up or move around very much, but God has still sustained their breath. And when you get around some of those older saints that have matured in Christ and you see a ripened and mature love, you're like, I want to be more like them. Perhaps you're a little stunted in your spiritual growth. If you're a little stunted in your spiritual growth, then you need to get into the Word a little bit more. You need to pray a little more. You need to watch over your heart and persevere in faith and continue to grow to be more like Jesus. Even the Apostle Peter at the end of his life, he writes one of the last things he says. He says, I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? That requires some work. That requires some change in habits. How hard is it for us to change some of our old habits? But Paul told them here in Ephesus, he says this in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in the attitude of your mind. Why should I change to be more in line with the scriptures? Do you ever get any ruts in your individual life or in in your family? Your family gets in a rut or, you know, churches can get in ruts too, can't they? And just get in ruts, get in habits And it's hard sometimes to change and to turn the ship around to get it more in line. But I tell you, if we'll get it, Lord, in the spirit of my mind, I don't want to change. I don't like change. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But Lord, I realize if you've said it, I want to please you and honor you and obey you. And I tell you, God will help you 
to be more like Jesus. And he'll be just able, he'll help you to take off those old clothes because that's what he's talking about. Put, those, put that old man off that's corrupt through deceitful desires. And put on the new man. Put on a new change of clothes. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then he gives us some examples. And then we'll move on to the next phase. If you're still hanging in there with me tonight. There's some real change that Paul writes about. And I want to share a few of those with you. Because he wants to be conformed to be more like Jesus. In, in chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Wherefore, put away lying. There were some people that were lying at Ephesus. Church members, lying? I guess so, because he had to say it. And he said here, Let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So he said, put away, put away lying and, and start speaking the truth. Be honest. Be honest. Sometimes it could be just somebody asks you, how are you doing today? Fine. That's not always the most honest question or most honest answer, is it? You know, we should be able to come to the house of the Lord and just be honest and truthful. Hey, I had a really hard day. Will you pray for me? You know, that, that'll build some relationships right there, won't it? Because we, we don't all have it together. Here's another one. Because this, these are areas that the Lord wants us to grow in Christ's likeness. He says, be angry and sin not. Is there anybody in here that does not get angry? Please be truthful. Be truthful. Anybody here not get angry? Now, some of you may say, I don't get angry. I don't get angry. Because you look at people that are angry as people that blow up. They blow up on other people. But let me ask you this. Any, we got any clamors in here? We got some volcanoes in here, I bet. But I bet we got some clams in here too that when you don't get your way, you clam up and you isolate and you, and you run off in the corner and you pout because you don't get your way. We got to be careful with that. He said, be angry and sin not. Y'all are saying, man, preacher, he's got to get out of town. He's meddling now. No, I'm not meddling. I'm just preaching the word. I'm just telling you these are areas that Paul is saying we got to grow in. Be angry and sin not. He said, let not the sun go down on your wrath. So it's okay to be angry, but we don't need to sin uh, in, in trying to get our way. We need to, if we get angry we need, and we've got a short fuse, we need to say, Lord, help me. Help me. I, I know you're in control. What are you trying to teach me in this moment? So he said, put off anger and, and don't sin because anger can really open up the door to the devil. I'm going to skip on down to verse uh, 31. He says, put off relational hostility. Anybody here struggle in relationships? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you with all malice. These are areas that we're to grow to be more like Christ until he comes back. Because Oftentimes, instead of being peacemakers, we become peacekeepers and we sweep things under the rug that we don't want to deal with and we allow bitterness and resentment to set up in our hearts and wrath and anger and evil speaking. We begin to cut people down, cut down reputations and things of that nature. But Paul says, put these things that promote relational hostility, that's part of the old man. That, that people are going to do all those things. That's not the way that you have learned Christ. And he says, here's what I want you to do. And I want to take you to the cross where we ended last night. Paul says this, I want you to be kind. Instead of being bitter and resentful, I want you to be kind, which means gentle and pleasant. I want you to be tender hearted. 
To have a heart of compassion. Did you not see that last night? As Jesus is hanging on the cross, He is tired, He is hurting, and yet He's still offering forgiveness because He's not going to allow the sin of someone else to creep in His heart and to ruin and devastate His heart. He is going to respond to God in the right way and He's going to respond to others in the right way because He's more concerned with relation, relationship building rather than relationship tearing down because we've got enough of that. These are just simple ways that we're called to go, grow in Christ. He says be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and then forgiving one another. Anybody in here ever feel like forgiving? I'd like to talk to you if you feel like forgiving. When somebody really hurts you, you said, yeah, I, I want to run over there and I want to bear hug them. I want to tell them how much I love them and I want to thank them so much for hurting me. Anybody in here like that? Probably not. But this is the basis of forgiveness. And it goes back to who we are in Christ. He says, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So the motivation for forgiveness, the motivation for confessing sin, is because of what Christ has done for us in granting us this great salvation. It's through this great salvation that we are justified and the penalty of sin is paid. It's through this great salvation that we are sanctified and the power of sin is broken. God sets us apart unto Himself and we've been made holy in a position. We got a new position to work from. But then also we are called to be more like Christ every day and be like Paul that is said, for to me to live is Christ. As long as I'm in this life, I want to be more like Christ. And Lord, to die is gain. Why is to die gain? Because in this great salvation, God has also promised to glorify us. For those that know Him, for those that have been saved by God's grace, the best is yet to come. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in John 17, 24. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prayed that we might behold the glory of God. I was touched the other night by that message about Christ and his transfiguration that Peter, James, and John got to see a glimpse of the glorified Christ. But there's coming a day on the horizon for those that have been saved and been given this great salvation that we are going to be in his presence and he has renewed this heart. But there's coming a day that God not only has renewed this heart, but he's also going to give a new body and we're going to be able to stand in the presence of God. Like Job said, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. How's that for an escape? Instead of facing the strict judgment of God based on the holy law of God, 
There is a way out. And His name is Jesus. And He is great. And He offers a great salvation. And the older I get, I see that this gift that He gave me 20 years ago, the value of it continues to rise. Day by day by day. Because not only am I going to see Him face to face, but He is going to be so intimate that it says He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. you got to get really close to get down and wipe away a tear from your child's eyes. But I'll tell you, that one who adopted me about 20 years ago into his family, and I've been crying, Abba, Father, ever since, one of these days, he's going to do just that. And I'm going to stand before the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, where the angels have been crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. And I don't know if I'll cry, Holy, 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 or if I will say, Thank you, thank you, thank you for the grand work of redemption and for giving me this great salvation that I have enjoyed ever since I received the gift. And I am going to enjoy and delight myself in fatness throughout all of eternity in the presence of Almighty God. And every time I look around in heaven and I wonder why am I here? How could this be so good? How could this be so true? I will just glance over to Jesus and see it was through those nail prints in His hands and His feet and the side there that He paid it all. And He gave this to me for free. And I don't deserve it, and I surely haven't earned it. But it's mine, because that's how personal He is with every single one of us. And I want you to have a time and a place in your life where you know that you have received this gift of eternal life. And if you have forgotten what that gift was about, and it has lost its shine because you've been mesmerized by the lights of the world, I pray that tonight the Holy Spirit dusted off some of those old ways of thinking and reminded you, if you've been saved, I'm saved, saved, saved to the uttermost. And all I can say, Lord, is praise your holy name.